Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning. Welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. We're glad that you are with us. If we've never met before, it is good to see you. If you're part of this collective family, it's good to have you back. We are nearing the end of this series we've been doing called Rooted. We're in week nine, nine of ten. And one just brief announcement, if you don't catch anything else Next week, we'll be online only. They're having a a Christmas, uh, I thought it was a Kris Kringle market. It's not, it's some German word, but they're they're doing something in our venue, and so we are going to leverage that online and then be back the following week. This week is the, the theme of the week. If you're in a co-group, you'll have seen some of this, is why and how should I tell others? Why and how should I tell others? If you've been in the church for any length of time, maybe you've heard the word evangelism. And you may hear that word and go like, Ugh. like evangelism, I gotta go up to strangers and tell them about Jesus? I don't, I don't know if I wanna do that. I find it terrifying. For some of us, we hear that and we are encouraged to share our faith and it just leaves us feeling inadequate and fearful. The truth is that there are even moments for me where that is challenging and the idea sometimes that we make it into is, seems to be beyond me. For, for our life, our life was impacted significantly by someone who was willing to take this seriously. Her name was Chelsea. And Chelsea came to faith when she was in high school, and my wife, Lee, who was friends with her, got to watch her life as it changed. And eventually, Chelsea would invite Lee to church. And typically, how we tell stories from the front is we go, and Chelsea invited Lee to church, and the first time Lee said, I'm in! But the truth is that Lee said no repeatedly over many, many years. Now, I don't know about you, maybe you're really good with rejection, but I think at a certain point I'd go, I'm giving up. Like I'd hear no a couple of times and I'd go, well, I did my part, but not Chelsea. Chelsea continued to invite Lee, continued to tell her about Jesus. And as a result of that, one day Lee said yes, showed up to church, found Jesus, and it changed our life. It changed the trajectory of our family and Collective would not be here without that. But the truth is that in that, there were opportunities for Chelsea to believe the lies, the lies of, well, what if they reject me? It's not rejecting Jesus or the message, it's rejecting me. What if I don't have all the right words? What if I don't do it the right way? What if I screw it up? And so many of us live in that place. And the truth is, because we feel ill-prepared or we second-guess ourselves, what's our response? Our response is not to go, I'm just going to stumble through it. Our response is, I just won't do it. I just will go, someone else will do it. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. And I want to suggest to you that there is a better way. 
I want to suggest to you that there is a way that all of us need to be part of, and it's not going up to strangers in the street, though for some of us that is our wiring. It's something better, and it becomes part of our regular rhythm of life. There is a better way forward. I want to start by looking at a passage from Colossians, this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. Colossians 4, verse 2 to 6, and it says this. Devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you would speak. I know that you know each one of us and you desire to put something in our minds and on our hearts that draws us closer to you. I pray that we would have the ability to hear from you. God, I don't want it just to be about my words and my ideas. That's just information. We want transformation. So God, meet us where we are, and I pray that we would not be the same as we leave. And as we see your son more clearly, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Even in this, when we're talking about this idea of sharing your faith or evangelism, it's important that you understand that there is the act of evangelizing, telling people about the good news of Jesus, sharing about the message of our faith, and then there's the gift of evangelism. There are some of us that are wired to evangelize and share this message with people that aren't Christians and they're drawn to it, drawn to Jesus, that our gift actually highlights the goodness of God. But not all of us have that gifting. The truth truth is that there are some of us, you go, that's not my gifting. I'm wired very differently. And sometimes we can mistake the gift with the actual act itself. I mean, for me, that has been uh, the reality. I, I've grown up in the church, I, I've worked at churches, and I have, I've had this, these moments where I've had people put pressure and go, here's what you need to do. You need to go into Victoria Park, tap people on the shoulder and go, have you met Jesus? And I'm like, I love people and I'm extroverted and that scares the crap out of me. I'm like, I'm not sure that's the move. And so then you end up going, you know what, I just, I just, I won't do it. I was working at a church in Calgary, and we had an Easter service that we were come up to. The, the lead pastor at the time was on a sabbatical, so there was four of us. There was the executive pastor, me as the youth pastor, children's pastor, and worship pastor working together to think through what Easter would look like. And we were really excited, because Easter, I don't know if you know this in the context of the church, is a big deal. And so we were going to have baptisms, Evidence of life change, which is fitting for Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we celebrate new life for people. And one of the things that we were talking about as we were praying, we were going, we need to create an opportunity for people to come to faith. Now you have to understand that the church that I was at, that was not a regular thing. They didn't do that. They kind of said, well, if you want to do it, figure it out. It's a different model. And so they're like, we need to do what's called an altar call. Like we need to actually give an, an invitation, tell about the message of Jesus and give people an opportunity to, to raise their hand and to st- take a step towards following Jesus. 
And we're all talking, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. We should, we should do that. And they're like, yeah. And I go, so who's going who's gonna to do that? And they all look at each other like, you are. And I was like, what? I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't, I'm not good at that. I shouldn't do that. And I was, I was nervous because I saw me, and I was like, our church doesn't do that. I'm about to go up, and what if it doesn't work? Like, all the things that we already think about when it comes to evangelism, even in personal relationships, I went, what if they reject me? What if I don't say it right? What if I screw it up? We had three services, so I had the opportunity to do it three times, which, you know, if you don't want to do it once, doing it three is not better. And so I went up there, and I went, okay. We prayed like crazy, and I went, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do it. And I'm willing, if I go up and I give an invitation and no one follows Jesus, then that's fine. I, I, I'm going to just do my best. And I go up there at the first service and I preach my guts out. And then I give this offer to follow Jesus and I'm looking out and I see no one put up their hand and respond. And so there's the internal dialogue, right? I go, is that me? Did I screw it up? Okay, that's fine. We got two more. God's clearly doing something. And I turn around and I'm talking to the worship pastor as the service is wrapping up. And he goes, dude, what are you doing? And I go, what do you mean? No one. And he's like, didn't you see that girl? And I went, what girl? And he goes, as soon as you started talking, as soon as you gave an invitation and you said, put up your hand, that girl stood at the front with her hand all the way up in the air waiting. And I went, what? And he's like, didn't you see her? I'm like, I didn't see her. I thought no one responded. He's like, go get her. And so we ran and we found this woman and talked to her and, and she went, I'm in, I wanna, I wanna follow Jesus, I wanna do it all. And what did that do for me? That didn't remind me that I had figured it out. It didn't make me feel this sense of arrogance of going, see? It made me be reminded that we step out and God shows up. And for me in my life, I believe that that was one of the moments where God began to unlock some evangelistic gifting. But not everyone is like that. Not everyone gets up in front of the church and tells people about Jesus, which is good because there'd be a lot of churches with one person in it, talking to themselves, that we all have a different part to play. And so when we see this passage in Colossians, we actually see the invitation for those of us when we're not in the front when we're not actually doing the, the, the evangelistic moments or when we're not doing something significant for a larger group of people, there's this significant invitation for everyone else. That invitation is pray. Pray. It says devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. We get to pray for evangelistic moments. We get to pray for evangelistic leaders. We get to pray because we are all in this together. And if you're ever wondering, like, how could I pray for collective or for Tyler on a Sunday morning. Verse four, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. This is always my hope that I don't get in the way, that the message comes through the messenger and it's not even about me, that it's about Jesus. Pray that it would come across clearly. There are moments that you go, I, like afterwards I'm talking to Lee going, was that clear, did that make sense? And she's going, yeah, okay. 
I'm like, that's the, that's the invitation to pray, to pray and pray and pray and pray. Because the truth is that our best efforts are meaningless without God's power at work in us. We can bring everything we have, we can have a super compelling and attractive set of words, but if those words are not breathed on by God, they don't accomplish what we want them to accomplish. And even if you look back at my time at that church where we had an invitation to follow Jesus, you see God's power on display, not mine. In fact, you see my weakness on display in God's Strength. That is the beauty of what it looks like to be a Christian who is constantly telling the story to others. And as for the the rest of us, as we navigate these moments, recognizing that there are some people that are wired differently to be evangelistic, we see in verse 5 that all of us are encouraged to live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. See verse five where it says, live wisely among those who are not believers. You know what that presumes? It presumes that we actually have people around us that aren't believers, that aren't Christians, that don't follow Jesus. And the thing that can be tricky for us as the church if we're around other Christians is we find ourselves with more and more Christians and our schedules are filled up with more Christians and we're around each other. And listen, it's important that we're together and that we're around each other. But if we look at our life and realize we've crowded out any other person who's not a Christian, we should look and we should be uncomfortable with that. Like, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe at work, maybe at work you have people that don't know Jesus and you're going, you know what, I show up and I leave and maybe God's invitation is, hey, what would it look like for you to actually build relationships with those people? I mean, maybe when you come to faith, like I know that this often happens, someone comes to faith and they're going, I don't wanna be drawn into this old life or old temptations and so they, they're around only Christians but at a certain point as you're stronger, you go, you can do something about those people that don't yet know Jesus. And so maybe you're listening and you go, that's what I need to do. I just need to be praying, God, give me relationships with people that aren't Christians. Help me to see people around me that aren't Christians. Help me to to know that there are people around me that are watching me. Help me to live wisely as they watch my life and ask the question, does this really change their life? Is God for real? Does following Jesus actually make a difference? But maybe you're in here and you go, I have some people around me that aren't Christians. I, I have healthy relationships with people that don't yet know Jesus. The invitation then for us is in the second half of that verse where it says, make the most of every opportunity. I want you to know that God is at work already, that God is already drawing people to Himself. We just get to be part of that process. And sometimes it's a big part and sometimes it's a small part, but the invitation is to say yes, to, to actually step into those moments. Even when you look at Lee and her friend Chelsea, you, you see someone who over time was making the most of every opportunity. It's important that we understand that God is already working. And so we don't need to try to force it. 
We don't need to try to make it awkward. And for some of us, that's our go-to. We're like, I need to tell people about Jesus. And so your friend's like, hey, friend, so uh, you want to go out for supper? And you're like, yes, you need Jesus. And they're like, okay, man, so like 7 7 p.m., does that work? It's like, yes, let me tell you about my Savior. And they're like, okay, sweet, man. And you're like, are we getting water? They're like, yeah. He's like, let me tell you about the living water. Right? That's what we picture. Now, that's like an extreme version, but some of us, we try to force it. Instead of looking for opportunities where God's already working, we just go, I'm going to make this work myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to wedge myself in there. And the invitation for us is to move and go as God asks us where he's already at work. We don't need to force it. We get to say yes at every single opportunity that God gives us. But when you start praying for those opportunities, when you start praying for your friends, you would be surprised at how many opportunities start popping up. And suddenly you're living your life and people are asking about Jesus and they're asking about you and you're like, I'm not ready right now. Like I want to do this at some point when it's more convenient for me. We need to make the most of every opportunity. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 to 16 dovetails beautifully with this passage in Colossians and it says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. See this first pass, the first section where it says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. For some of us, that's, that's the reality. Like, we can't just follow Jesus. We actually need to allow him to be Lord to fully surrender, king and kingdom. We actually are willing to go, I'm gonna give everything to you. And then, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I've learned something that I think many of us know about hope, is that hope isn't on display, and it's not required when things are good. When things are good, you don't really need hope because things are good. Hope is on display most when things are not good, when life is challenging, when you're facing difficulties. That's when hope is on display. That's when people actually see your hope evidenced in your life as you face challenges. And this passage talks about we need to be ready to give a, a reason to explain why we have hope, a reason for our hope. A few weeks ago, Lee and I were in Calgary, and we were there for a church planting conference, and while we were there, because we worked there, there was an opportunity to connect with some relationships, and one was this guy named Ken. Ken was a church planter. Ken was a worship leader at the church that I was at, and, and, and you know when you spend time with someone you just connect with? Like when we spent time together early on while I was at the church, it just, it just clicked, and I, I, I love spending time with Ken, and I learned from Ken And while we've been out in Ontario, Ken has battled with cancer, and then just when he was in remission, found out he has ALS, he has Lou Gehrig's disease. And so Ken's health has has drastically decreased, and he's in the, the end stage of his battle with ALS. He stopped working and and has moved his bedroom downstairs so he has everything close. And and I was hoping that I'd get a chance to spend a bit of time with Ken while we were out west. 
And so I got to spend a few hours with him in a, a morning, and we spent time together, and we were talking, and, and we, he's saying to me, he's like, you know, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that God can heal, and I also trust him even if he doesn't, which is the tension that we often find ourselves in in our life, like God can rescue me, but even if he doesn't, he's good. And he's living in that place, and he's saying, I just... I just have so much peace. Now, it would be different if he said he had peace, and I was like, I don't know if I see it, but it was just all I could see with him. All I could see as I spent time with him is that he had hope, hope that God could heal, hope that God might not, but hope in God himself, hope in Jesus, and it wrecked me. Because it's lovely for us to have theological ideas in our head. It's lovely for us to have all sorts of things that we go, I believe this to be true. But is it lived out when things are difficult? Do you actually see that as reality when you face challenges? And what I saw with Ken was that. And here's what's crazy and not surprising. People were asking, why? They're going, why do you have the hope that you have? Why do you have the perspective that you have? Hey, would you share with other people what what you're thinking through and how you're navigating this? He was invited to share the reason for his hope. He got asked to go on a podcast and share a little bit of his story and was like, I don't know if I should do it. And I was like, I think think you need to do it. But you have these opportunities to, to actually share the reason for our hope and The reminder for us is that this does not happen when our life is good. It happens when we're confronted with challenges. And people wonder, why are you responding differently to this? When people see hope like that, they're blown away because it looks different than what they expect. See, the context of this passage in Peter, in 1 Peter, is that the church is facing persecution and suffering. It is hard for the early church. This is where the environment where hope begins to take root and it's on display. And so when when it says at the beginning, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, this was something that cost the early church everything. The risk was significant. And I was thinking about that. I, I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of reading about the early church. There are, there are philosophers and sociologists and, and religious thinkers or uh, theologians that are recognizing that the cultural moment that we find ourselves, especially in Canada, is closer to the early church than ever before. That the environment of the early church is very similar to the environment that we find ourselves in, the culture that we find ourselves in. And so there's this movement of rediscovering the early church to go, what does that look like? How did they function? And what can we learn from them? And in an environment that the early church exists, like it actually, you could lose your life if you followed Jesus. Like they wouldn't do public gatherings in the, the early church because if you invited someone in who wasn't a Christian and then they told the Romans, you would be killed. So it wasn't like they're facing people that were mean on social media. They were facing an actual confrontation where they could lose their life. And yet, in an environment that was so hostile to Christianity, hundreds of thousands of people followed Jesus. Why? 
in an environment that it made no sense, that it was actually harder to follow Jesus, people responded differently. There's a couple of quotes that I want to read. The first one is from Michael Green that helps us to understand. It says, 80% or more of the evangelism in the early church was done by ordinary Christians just explaining their life to their friends and family. Okay, let me just, 80% or more wasn't done by people up at the front. It wasn't done by people that were really gifted with evangelism. 80% or more of the people that came to faith in Jesus came to faith because of ordinary Christians. And not ordinary Christians that were going, let me open up the Bible and explain to you theology, though that is important. Ordinary Christians that were just explaining their life to other people. Completely changes how we view evangelism. Because if we think we need to just go up to strangers or even friends and force something versus this where we get to explain our life as we follow Jesus and what it looks like, it frees us up. And suddenly you go, I I just am responsible for actually sharing my life and the difference that Jesus continues to make in it. I'm responsible for showcasing a response to challenging things that looks different than people around us. The truth is that when we live like that, people are asking why. When we actually follow Jesus, when we actually submit our life to Jesus, surrender every single area of our life, even the ones that we want to hold on to, to Jesus, people ask, why do you live like that? Why are you different? People are drawn to Jesus at work in us. But it also begs the question that if people aren't asking questions and aren't wondering, does your life look different? Does your life actually look like Jesus intends it to? Or is it possible that you look, you've kind of floated into the cultural values more than following Jesus? Like for us as Christians, there's this constant process of going, am I actually following Jesus? Have I surrendered everything to him. Even if we look at the biblical narrative as Jesus invests in his disciples, the 12 guys that spent the most time with him, you see over time that Jesus makes it more and more difficult. He turns up the heat. The expectations are higher as they progress. And for some of us, we've stayed at the same place for too long, and we've lost some of our uniqueness. And Jesus' invitation is, follow me, give me everything, surrender your life, die to yourself. And when we do that, people go, why do you act like you do, think like you do? Why do you respond like you do? Tell me, what is the reason for your hope? Why, when you're facing challenges, do you respond like Ken with ALS where you go, I I trust God no matter what. God's in it and with me. How are you able to do that? Because we are different. There's another quote by Alan Crider that says this, and it's talking about the early church and evangelism. It was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was Christians who attracted them. And outsiders found the Christians attractive because of their Christian lifestyle and practices. Listen, worship is significant, and we need to do it, and we need to gather together. Sundays are important, and we value that. It's why every single Sunday I talk, whether it's that we gather and scatter, or we're about come and see and go and be. It's important that we understand that that worship is significant, 
But the thing that's really going to change the world is you. Is your lives lived out every single day in the surrounding by people in a culture that, that increasingly is, is not positive for Christians. Following Jesus is becoming more difficult. It is nothing compared to the Middle East where people are, are killed for their faith. But it is more difficult than it was. But when people see you and how you live, they see Jesus at work, and as a result of that, people come to faith. There's one of the panelists at the conference that we were at was talking about the kind of cultural moment that we find ourselves in, and and he was talking about the cultural view of Christianity Er, early on, and you can think about a time where, not that long ago, where Christianity was in favor like culturally we go to church we believe that faith in God is important and valuable and then there's the opposite side where Christianity is in negative or disfavor where it's in opposition to the culture and it's and it's wrong and it's bad and it's harmful and then there's the in between in between where it's in neutral favor now there have been times that Christianity has been in more positive favor for the last little while and then it slowly crept and I don't know if you've experienced this. I'm certainly seeing it where we're certainly uh, on the other side of neutral favor. It's not where we can be killed for our faith, but there are certain things that we believe as Christians that is counterintuitive and countercultural to the culture that we see around us. And I want to suggest to you that's exactly how it should be. See, I was talking to my dad, and he's like, you know, things are getting bad. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's when the church has thrived. Because if people are looking around at Christians that just look the same as everyone else, what reason would they have to look at us and wonder why we're different? We wouldn't be different. And when everyone's a Christian, it's easy to go, well, I don't know, whatever. But what does it look like then to follow Jesus radically, to be rooted in what God wants for us in an environment where increasingly that is more difficult? What it looks like, I believe, is like the early church where 80% or more of the people came to faith because of ordinary Christians just explaining their lives. People explaining the difference that following Jesus has made. This is the invitation for us. We get to bear witness. I was listening to another speaker and he was saying, we get to live in a way that begs the question. That begs the question for people, why? Do you actually believe that? Why do you believe that? Why? What is the reason for your hope? As Christians, we have an invitation. We can choose to find our allegiance in Jesus, or we can choose to find our allegiance in everything else or anything else. And the invitation becomes, I want to follow Jesus with every single bit of my life. And over time, he begins to chip away at things and chip away at things. And suddenly, our life looks different. And it's not until we wait when we're a finished product and we go, now I'm going to tell people about Jesus. It's in that whole process that people are watching us and going, why? You're different. What's happening? And you can say, let me tell you. How much different is that when it's not about going and forcing a conversation with someone, but simply giving them an answer to a question they're asking? 
Like, it, it's a struggle, and I think that's part of it. The idea of going to some stranger and telling him about Jesus, though for some of us that is part of what we need to do, that is terrifying for most people. But answering someone who's around you who's just asking the question why is very different. And then the pressure is not on having all the right answers. It's not on doing it perfectly. The pressure is just speaking about what God has done. One of the beautiful things, so we live, and it's a challenge, we live in what's called a post-truth environment, where your truth is my truth, and my truth is my own truth, and everyone's going, I don't really know how to navigate that. But here's where it's a beautiful thing, an invitation, even that cultural moment, When someone's asking you, why are you like that? If that's their paradigm that, well, my truth is my own truth, you're just sharing your truth. Here's my truth. Jesus has changed everything and he could change something for you and suddenly people see Jesus and we use a cultural moment in a way that God can be glorified. It is a gift for us that we are heading into an environment where it is increasingly more difficult to follow Jesus. That is good for us. The church has always been more effective when it has been countercultural, not running with the same current of culture. But it causes us to begin to question Am I following the way of Jesus? Am I actually following Jesus? Or am I like everybody else? Am I unique? And let me just be clear am I unique for the right reasons? Like, there are some things that Christians are like, I'm this, and you're like, that's not Jesus. Like, let's make sure that what we do actually reflects Jesus. The one who was on the cross in the middle of someone who believed in him and someone who denied him. That that, that's what we get to represent. And so the question becomes in our lives. When it comes to why and how do I tell people about Jesus, I, I want you just to consider what is the story that my life is telling? What is the story that my life is telling? And who am I inviting into that story? Who am I telling about that story? Who's hearing or seeing a life that is beginning to be changed? And then, even as you're around people that maybe don't think like you or know Jesus, what stories are you telling? Are you talking about the impact of serving or giving or humility or following? Are you, are you sharing any of that with people? And not in a way that's trying to compare or trying to make someone feel lesser than, but in a way that's just going, this is just my life. I follow Jesus. Because we want people to wonder, why do you have the hope that you have? Even if you follow the thread, and I don't know if they were up on the screen, but there's four big things that I want us to be thinking about, the threads that carried through this whole message. The first is that the invitation is to pray. Pray. Pray for us. Pray for collective. Pray for the gathered spaces that people would find faith and find Jesus. Pray that we would share, that whoever is up here would speak with clarity about the message that we've been given. Pray. Pray in your own life. Pray for people. Pray for conversations. Pray for opportunities. Pray. And then the next is say yes. When you have opportunities that come your way, say yes to them. Go, I'm in, even though I feel like I might pee a little. Good. I have never once stepped into a moment that God has asked me to step into and felt adequate enough. 
My, my, my sense of worth was not in my own ability. It was completely in him, the one who invited me. But I've never gone, I've got this. Most of the time, I'm like, I don't have this. I need you. Perfect. Just say yes. The next is explain. You need to be able to explain what is different about your life. Explain where God has worked. Explain where following Jesus had made a difference in your life. And the last is we need to be following Jesus, not halfway following, not showing up on Sunday and living our own life the other, the other six days of the week, one hour on a Sunday where you go, I'm in, but instead as Christians to live this thing out in a way that every single moment of every single day, people are wondering how and why are you able to live like this? What is the reason for your hope? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but we're facing a global pandemic. And so there are people that are watching Christians and have for the last two years that are wondering, why do you have hope? Why do you seem to navigate all the political stuff differently? Why do you seem to navigate the ideological stuff differently? Why does it seem like even as you face challenges, heaped on challenges, heaped on challenges, that your perspective is different. That doesn't mean that we pretend like everything is okay when it's not. But it does mean that people see Jesus at work in us. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what the step that you need to take, the emphasis that maybe God's drawing your attention to. Maybe it's the prayer. Maybe it's saying yes. Maybe it's explaining. Maybe it's following. Maybe it's all of those and God's going, I want to level you up and draw you to something better. Here's my invitation. Don't just hear that and go, that's nice, moving on. Yeah, I should tell people about Jesus, but that's not me. What would it look like for us as a church to do something differently? We're gonna have opportunities on Sundays to have evangelistic moments, but what would it look like for your week to actually make a difference in people's lives? You know what happens is when you start living like that and you start seeing how it impacts you, you begin to do more of it, and then you're more willing to go, okay, I'm in, I'll say yes, okay, that's what I want for us as a church. Now, the, the theme of the week is why and how, and I, I've talked a lot about how, but let me just tell you why. Because there are over 100,000 people in London, well over 100,000 people, that just say, I have no religious affiliation. Like, I have no interest in church. I don't define myself by anything. Over 100,000 people. Now, you might hear that and go, that's a large number, but I don't really know any of them. But the thing is, you do. They're people that we love and care about, that we work with. And if you don't have someone in your life, there's someone beside you that does. That goes, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my cousin, that's my, my coworker. They need Jesus. And God doesn't say, hey, we're going to wait for the professionals to take care of this. God sends us. And he says, step out and actually be the church. If you want any examples, even in this context, you can look at Lee or you can look at James, people that have found Jesus through the local church. 80% or more of the people in the early church came to faith, not by, not by evangelistic rallies or worship gatherings, but by ordinary people just explaining their life. What would it look like this week to explain your life to someone and watch how God uses it. 
I want to let you know that, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, the kind of life that you could never live. All the striving, all the trying, and you could never do enough. And God says, I'm going to make a way back to me, back to the relationship that you're desperate for. I'm going to send my son Jesus to live a perfect life, pay the price on that cross, and then rise again. And so Jesus went into the tomb after he'd been on the cross and died and three days later rose again and restored everything that was broken and invites us to follow him and experience life. Outside of our circumstances, outside of whatever we're going through, that we can follow Jesus and experience something different, that we have a reason for hope that does not make sense. In the midst of all the things that we're going through, I want to remind you, it is not easy, but following Jesus is the best decision that you'll ever make. For the rest of us, we have an opportunity and invitation in this season to reach people and to change lives because Jesus is at work in us. Will we say yes? Let's pray, and then I want to worship together. God, I pray that in these moments that you would draw us close, that you would even draw to mind people that are around us that need to know you. That you would break your heart, break our heart for what breaks yours, that we would be drawn to sharing our why, sharing the reason for our hope. And as we worship, I pray that they just wouldn't be, they wouldn't just be words that we that we say and and sing without thinking, that they would be declaration of our heart. God, meet us where we are and help us not to stay there. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.